But everybody, I, I got Brad here with me, Brad Gardner. I uh, appreciate you stopping by here. I know we're a little bit away from home. We're over here in Orlando right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got a chance to get to know you pretty well, both from afar and now, you know, having a couple conversations with you. Man, for those of you who don't know Brad, I mean, man, introduce yourself to some of the audience here, what you do down here in Florida, brother, and, uh, you know, just your story here, bro. Yeah. Um, I can see my name's Brad Gardner. Or Bradley, a lot of people know me online as Bradley because that's my Facebook name, I guess. But people that know me call me Brad. Uh, and I own uh, Hometown Restoration. We, um, you know, uh, uh, have become a very, I guess, decent-sized uh, storm restoration company. Uh, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm surrounded by some amazing people that make me look a lot better than I am probably. But, uh, you know, we... we we do that. Um, I got a, a lot of other things that I do, but I guess that's my, my mainstay is a, I'm the CEO of that company. Um, somehow I, I ended up with a online brand. Uh, with, oh, okay. Well, let's but, dive in. Let's, we're just going to let the cat out of the bag here. Okay. Uh, there, yeah, you you asked me who I am. <laughs> all right. So, well, I want I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, I want to, I want to say this, like you got you know, You've got your online reputation. Thousand people, let's say, maybe watch this. A couple thousand. You might recognize the name, but they're not sure. Where have I seen this before? Sure. Can you maybe fill them in? Yeah. So um, I, I have a Facebook group called the Lump Sum Contractor, and uh, I'm a, I guess, have been a controversial figure for a while, and and a lot of the different Facebook groups. Uh, um, I, I, a lot more because I like to I like to think out ideas, right, and think out topics, and um, I think. I don't mind getting into the weeds of, of uh, banging out what might be controversial. Uh, controversy doesn't really scare me, right? So uh, I'll dive down into topics that, you know, um, and and questions that I think things that need to be can't questioned and somehow or another that has brought attention to me. And so that's that may be where people know me from, Some you know. Uh, and I'm, I'm a big guy too. So I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm hard to miss. Like what yeah, you see right. me, you remember me, I guess. So that's, right. that's another reason why <laughs> I guess I don't know. I just ended up with it. Now I'm going to talk about this lump sum model. Cause I think a lot of people are going to be interested in that. Okay? okay. You know, disrupting an industry, really trying to look out for the right way to do business. So we're going to get to that in a few, yeah. but kind of break me down here, bro. You are a big guy. You know, mm-hmm. people remember you. Was there an athletic background to you? Was there a competition? Who was, who was Brad growing up, man? Yeah, uh, well, you know, I come from a, a kind of a, I guess, a little bit of a rough background, you know, a uh, very turbulent home kind of thing. Um, ended up, uh, you know, I had, I, I played football a good bit. I played a lot of sports. Uh, did a little stint in, in college football. Um, didn't really go anywhere with that. Uh, I probably could have had the, um, I'm old and fat now. Back then I was, I was jacked and uh, athletic and but I didn't have the the structure at home to to make that happen so uh, I ended up um, I ended up not playing football and uh, now I'm broke because football was paying for college and I'm now trying to figure it out so I made it about half a semester and uh, found myself at a car dealership uh, where I ended up you know dropping out of school to become a car salesman and uh, I started there, I guess, when I was, like, 19. It happened to also be, like, 2007. And uh, I don't know if anybody remembers what happened in 2007, 2008, but it got to where you couldn't give a car away, right? 
so I did that. Um, and I guess when that kind of fell apart, uh, I ended up as a police officer for a little while. Uh, did that for a while, hated it, uh, hated every minute of it. it, you know, and I guess that was probably my first run in with really just not watching my whole universe cave around me and not understanding it because I just wasn't who I was supposed to be. Right. Um, so I did that for a little while. Um, uh, a lot of stuff at home was going on too. Uh, family falling apart. Dad ended up in prison there for a little bit, the whole thing, and uh, ended up uh, back in the car business. Uh, wasn't long after that, I was uh, running around the country with a uh, traveling car sale. You ever seen the movie uh, The Goods, Live Hard, Sell Hard? Yes, I know what you're talking about. I did that. Wow, okay. Uh, I, I, I traveled around the country doing these crazy event sales, and, uh, I mean, we would – literally lie cheat and still do whatever we could to sell people cars and and outrageous amounts of money and uh you know we got to really define uh, we got to really understand the psychology of sales there i mean I, and i at this point in my life i was convinced that i was going to be uh in the car business the rest of my life i was just going to do that so and, early, what are you in your early 20s right here yeah yeah I yeah you. so i mean i'm i'm running around you know just going to swindle people my whole life. Right. And, uh, had a deal where, uh, I took advantage of a little old lady. I mean, she was probably on the verge of dementia. Right. And, uh, we, we absolutely destroyed her. And, uh, that wasn't so much to give me a conscience as it was the next week I had gambled and partied all of it away. Right. The whole commission check was like 10 grand or something. And I was all in my woes about it. And I said, uh, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to, I'm not going to take advantage of people my whole life. If somebody had done that to my grandmother, I'd, I'd search them and kill them. Right. So I said, I want to be in sales because I'm always going to be in sales, but I want to do something that I believe helps people. So, uh, I, I ended up deciding the best way I know to be a salesman and, and really make a difference in people's lives was to be an insurance agent. <laughs> okay. I thought you were going to say timeshare or something right there. I mean, <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> exactly. So, okay, yeah. insurance agent. All right. Yep. So I ended up as an insurance agent, uh, <laughs> swindled my way into that job somehow. They weren't hiring people without college degrees, uh, but I found a place that, that would, would let me be an agent. Um, did that for three years. And, it, man, I was rocking. I was a rock star. I, you know, had, like, rookie of the year, had, had – uh, it was hitting sales goals, winning trips, doing the whole deal. I was a full lines agent, you know, and it was, it was great. I had, my life was, was awesome. And then we got hit by a hailstorm, and, uh, the hailstorm comes through and everybody in my book of business needs a roof. Right. And I had by the, by the third year here, I'd worked this out. This was my schedule. You're going to love this. I'd show up at work at like 11 o'clock. Right. And I would, I'd go in, I'd answer all my messages from the day that my girls had two or three messages. People call, want a car policy or whatever. At about 11, 30, 12, I'd go to lunch. I'd come back at one thirty, answer any lunchtime messages that came in. By 2.30, I was gone. I did this every day. I had my life down to a four-hour work day, and I was making over 100 grand a year being an agent, right? And uh, when <laughs> I was now, – now, I'm also living in Auburn, Alabama – and so I would leave at like two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, I'm in a college town. God, yeah. I'd leave from there. I'd go home. I'd take a nap. 
I'd get up and I would go work as a bouncer at the bars where I was mm. also a drug dealer. Right? <laughs> nice. I was running around uh, selling weed to all the college kids, uh, living the dream up with free drinks the whole night, just partying my ass off. And then I'd go home 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, when I got off from the bar, I'd go to sleep. I'd wake up about 8, 9 o'clock in the morning. I go to the office at 11. I get off at two or three. I, get, I mean, this was it was like two lives. So I had the suit and tie life, and I had like the 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 huge bouncer drug dealer life at night in the college town. So it was like two different lives I was living, and um, you know, and, and and wrapped up in all of that was like the addictions and the alcoholism and all that kind of stuff that was going with it. And I mean, I had a whole house of cards I was building, right? And uh, so um, all that kind of came to a head one day my my the the hailstorm happens and all of a sudden it's not a three-hour job anymore i'm like getting inundated with like people that are wanting their roofs to be paid for properly and we had an adjuster that wasn't doing a great job of it and so i was trying to figure out like how do i get this off my plate all these calls that are coming in what do i do with them right and uh i got hooked up with a roofer and uh you know it was send me your invoice i'll get it paid for so customer would call me i'd send my guy out my guy would go out there give me the invoice to do the roof i'd hand it to the adjuster it would get stonewalled right and i couldn't get to how was this why are we not just paying the invoice you're making my job harder customers are leaving me they're going elsewhere you know uh what's the problem so i started going around him and just passing it up to the girl at the home office that processed payments so i wouldn't give it to the adjuster i'd hand all these invoices over to the girl that was processing the payments and uh she and i we we had a good little relationship uh she 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 was married and all that good stuff but we you know we were friends um so she was just processing everything just paying it well that got back to the adjuster who was all of a sudden his files were paying out and he wasn't agreeing to it he goes to his boss his boss goes to my boss my boss comes down and uh after a couple hour conversation it was like i don't understand why we're not just paying for the estimate we owe for a reasonable cost incurred the invoice is reasonable why am i having to lose customers because you guys can't you know, we can't pay the invoice and I wouldn't get an answer. Uh, it was, you know, just the end of it was, look, stay out of claims or else. And me being a 20 something year old kid that was making a lot of money outside of roofing, uh, outside of, uh, uh, being an agent, uh, as well. was like, you know what? We'll go with our else then. Right. And I went with our else. So I said, I'll work for the roofer and I'll sell roofs in my spare time while I'm still running over here being a drug dealer and a and a bouncer and I'll just keep living my life and uh I get to use my sales skills to help people instead of take advantage of them which I felt like I was taking advantage of people again I mean it wasn't long after that and the cops kicked the door in right oh boy <laughs> and, all right and uh so uh I was down to just roofing right <laughs> so uh uh, wasn't long after that, I was in a in a, a hailstorm in North Carolina uh, with this company, and uh, it wasn't long after that, like any good roofer, I, uh, you know, they owe me a lot of money, and I was uh, in a car moving home homeless. So, <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of how I arrived at opening up hometown restoration. <laughs> so, Sent you back to your hometown. Yes, yeah, so I went back home. Um, 
you know, and that was pretty much all I had going for me was I was local, right? I, I knew some folks in my hometown, and so, I mean, I wasn't a contractor. I had no money, right? And uh, I had to borrow the $100 to get the LLC and stuff started, and I had to set up a bank account. And if I could set up the bank account, uh, I, I, I had some jobs that I, I sold, and I could deposit the checks into the bank account because they were in Hometown Restoration's name. And um, that's how it started, you know. And, uh, you know, still a drug addict, still an alcoholic, right? And uh, about a month after I started Hometown Restoration uh, with my brother, um, my wife showed up, and she was my girlfriend at the time. And, uh, you know, six months down the road, I'm, I'm this mid-20s guy, you know, still a drug dealer in my hometown now. Uh, roofing was kind of on the side. And uh, now I'm dating this 19-year-old girl who, I swear to God, I've never seen my wife drink more than half a glass of wine. I mean, she's just always been, you know, this perfect little bubble in my life, right? And, uh, you know, she's pregnant, right? And uh, so I made the decision. It was like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to raise my kid with without a dad or without a stable home like I, I didn't have, right? Mm-hmm. So um, put it all down. Um, went to straight roofing. Two weeks later, the cops kicked the door in again, right? And if it hadn't been for that, I, that time I was going to prison. That time it had gotten big. That time I was I was going down. And uh, But... I had pulled the plug on it. We didn't have anything in the house. Nothing was there. Um, my brother, who had actually gotten caught, he was on the sting. He he actually took a little lick for it, but, you know, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to him. He's running a roofing company now. He's sober and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, we paid a lot of money to get him, you know, through that. And uh, But that now we're left down to, you know, we got to be legit, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I put all my energy into building a roofing company. And, um, you know, through this industry and through this, the relationships I've found in this industry, I was able to find a way to get sober. I was able to build my life. We had another baby. We got another one on the way, right? We got, and now I live this life of, you know, I mean, a successful business owner with a really nice house and a beautiful family. I mean, you know, this, I don't know how the hell I ended up here, but I did. <laughs> so well, you know, let's let's talk about this because you know you you open up a bank account with a hundred bucks. You're back in your hometown. You're slinging some drugs. Yeah. You know how does that guy learn? You know how to even run a business because you know I look at you now. You know millions and millions of dollars in revenue and all this stuff, and people know you online. You're known in the industry. Yeah. But how man do you even gain enough knowledge not to? I mean, you, you lost twice as a drug dealer. Sometimes people would say roofing's like drug dealing. Sometimes. I mean, you're oh, sling- no doubt. I mean, so is there is there a time you failed at it, or did you just by applying? How did you make it work? <laughs> well, well, first off, you know, I think it's real important, and I, I say this all the time. I'm surrounded by amazing people. I don't know how the hell that happened. Um, so if you want that answer? I can't give it to you, but. You know, everything's kind of been a, a, a stage of growth to it. Like, you know, running around on the road uh, with selling cars helped me develop sales systems. Being an insurance agent gave me extreme knowledge and education on how insurance works, mm-hmm. right? Being a drug dealer showed me cash flow, right? How to manage cash flow, 
and how not to and how to deal with stress too right and people <laughs> and people right and uh so i mean then then going forward there's new lessons i learned right and and i talked about this the other day with somebody it was like um you have all these grand ideas of what it could be but no one ever talks about the time and being prepared to absorb the time that it takes to get from where you are to where you're trying to go and i learned that my first run before I fell on my face as a roofer, right? Because I was, when I started take being only a roofer, I was like, well, I mean, you know, I'm going to do millions and millions of dollars as a roofer. And, you know, it was three years in, and we're a $2 million company, and I have this ego of everything I'm touching is turning to gold. Look at this. I'm a, I did $2 million in revenue. Like, you know, let's dive into real estate now let's pack up and go to Colorado and, and work out there. And I ended up losing everything. Right. And, uh, it, it came down with all this time that it takes and all the, all the, all the things and lessons that you have to learn and how many times you have to fall down and learn from that falling down and then getting back up to it and then going back and, you know, making yourself better again, only to fall down again. And then it's not a linear thing up. It's, it's always ups and downs. Right. So, you know, it's through those times when you fall down where you get to really learn your lessons, right? And 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 the things that catapult you to the next level. So, you know, that that's how that the 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 how was just not stopping. How was not giving myself an option to, you know, quit. And, and so, what motivates you then? Because I'm gonna take my example. I got a. I'm motivated by fear. Oh, everybody fear of loss. Is, yeah. You know, everyone says they got those prey, you know, the prey drive within them, the things that motivate them, you know, maybe it's, but for me, it's fear that I'm going to wake up one day and it's all going to be gone. My reputation is going to be crap. I'm just, I, I got to fight. If there's one person I got to fight against a fear of, oh my, the anxiety goes through the roof. Mm-hmm. What motivated you, man? I mean, motivation is such a crappy word. What kept you pushing forward yeah. and not just saying, I'm just going to go back and sell some cars? Well, um, you know, I learned a lot about that, uh, it, through AA, uh, through actually Roofers and Recoveries, where I got introduced to AA. When were you introduced uh, to that? I want to interrupt your story. So you I got, got sober, sober February 24th, uh, 2020, and that was – so this will be my third year sober. And, um, and you know some of the people with Roofers and Recovery. We talked about, about Eric earlier and oh, the yeah, help yeah. he gave. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Eric and Paul and those guys, man, uh, they, they put me on that path, right? And uh, But I, for a year, I sat there, and everyone talked about how everything was fear-based, right? Now, you're, you're looking at the guy that I'm not afraid of anything. And at least that's what I always thought. And, I mean, I genuinely have pictured how I want to look at death when I see it. I want to I, – I, I've genuinely thought about I'm not going to go into that with fear, right? Uh, there's a uh, – Chief Tecumseh has a has an awesome poem, right, that he, that's very famous. And it's a – be not like those that fear death um, so that when it comes, they beg for a little more time, right? I never was going to be that guy, right? And, and so I've, n- I've never moved in fear. I was always the first one to dive into a fight. I was always the one that was in there fighting everybody, right? I've never, ever cared about being afraid of anything. Never crossed my mind. I'm sitting there one day. My I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And at this time, I'm about a year into being going down the sober path and um my two-year-old at the time who's now four is a little tyrant 
And now this this kid's still a savage. Don't get me wrong. He's sweet now, but he was two, and all two-year-olds are tyrants. And one day, him and Brody were playing in the floor, and uh, he picks up a golf club and hits Brody upside the head with it because he wanted a toy. You got a two, man. <laughs> Not hard at any age. So I'm – and the kid will go for the eyeballs. He's sweet as can be unless he's mad at you, right? And so – and he's nowhere near like that now. But at this time, he 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 didn't have that switch, as any two-year-old's trying to figure out. And um, so my wife uh, was, you know, of course, gets him spanks and put him in the corner, you know. And she says, Brad, uh, I'm worried about him. What are we going to do? And I said, babe, he's, he's two. You know, come on. He's, he's not violent. He's just two. And she says, well, how do you know that? Because you were violent. What if he's like you? Well, me being who I am, I, I I dive into these deep, trying to understand, well, why why was I violent, right? And I'm having to sit there and think about it and come up with an answer that explains how my two-year-old's not going to be a serial killer, right? So I'm like, I wasn't violent because of the reasons he is. He's two, and he's trying to understand how the world works. I was violent for another reason. What reason was that, Right. And it hits me. Turns out I was afraid of everyone thinking I was weak. I grew up poor. I grew up without anything. And the only thing I had, like I, I heard, uh, I think it was Jordan Peterson actually, and I referenced him a few times a day actually, but he was talking about there's only two ways to cr- climb the hierarchy as a man. There's through violence or with money. And sometimes you have to use violence or illegal means to climb the hierarchy with money. Or you can just be the most, the, 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 the cock of the walk, the biggest guy on the, on the block. Right. And one of my mechanisms for dealing with my fear was to be the biggest, baddest dude on the block. Right. Mm-hmm. So when I asked him what motivated me, what my fear was, was it was the fear of appearing weak. Right. Luckily, I found that out in the middle of an ego death and heaven losing everything and trying to rebuild my life, right? Because I had found out that I was afraid of that. And that's helped me. I figured that out, right? And then it's like all of a sudden I I get to come to the realization of not to rule my company like a tyrant. Um, I think it was Aristotle that said all... All tyrannies must rule. No, no, no. It was George Orwell. George Orwell said, all tyrannies must rule through fraud or force, and they can only rely on force whenever the fraud is exposed. I ruled my company like a like a tyrannical asshole. Everybody moved because they were afraid that I would be upset. What happens is people start hiding things from you, and they aren't open to you. They don't tell you about problems within your company because they're afraid of how things will go whenever they bring the problem to you, mm. right? So then one day everything implodes and everyone leaves you and you're standing there with no one to blame except for yourself. And I was there. And I found out, I, I, I saw that about me, right? And so that helped me. That was the lesson I learned when I fell on my face that time was, you know, okay, uh, there's uh, how to be a salesman. You got the knowledge part, sales guy, insurance guy, 
Then you got the uh, starting the company and, oh, shit, this isn't going to happen like I thought it was on day one. And then I fall on my face. And the first real lesson I learned was to not be a tyrant, right, to, 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 to be a leader. And changed my whole perspective on how I viewed people. And all of a sudden, people showed up from nowhere. This just started attracting into my life. They, they, they started aligning their lives with what we were doing at hometown, right? Yeah. And uh, the company catapults, right? Went through a couple, even recently, uh, a, a, a couple real punches in the gut that would have floored me years ago, right? Mm -hmm. But my people turn around and dig in and, you know, elevate us past it. That, the, the, the most recent one we went through, when I showed up, uh, to the storm here in, in uh, Fort Myers, you know, we had like nine sales guys. We got over 34 employees now. And that was through some bullshit, right? Yep. So and it's like everybody rallied. More people showed up. More people got on board. We needed people. We needed sales. We needed, they showed up. And they're, it, it, it's attracting. And, and the, what it is is the culture is not ruled by a tyrant. The culture is ruled by we're all in this together and we're we're making our lives better. And my job now is to manage that culture, right? No, but now, I mean, Brad, of fairness, you see people all online all the time, especially around this time. We're, you know, just after New Year's here, you know, in the middle of where we are, the 4th or 5th of January right here, something like that. And when I look at that, I see people talking about the new leaf. They're going to come, you know, it's going to turn this year. They're going to be better leaders, better well, they're going to do all these different things. So people talk about, hey, I'm not going to be the tyrant that I once was for a while. Yeah. You know, but then, like Mike Tyson, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> and we all revert back to who we know, yeah. that guy inside. Yeah. So what is it about you? You've gone through these trials. You've, you know, you've had things taken away from you. You've had people try to take them from you. Why didn't you just revert back to what you know? Because oh. I'm going to tell you, that's what I struggle with. Yeah, sure. Is that when it's everything's it's easy to be that guy when everything's good. Yeah. But what do you do? How did you not say, okay, hell, I'm stepping back in here. You're doing this. You're doing this. You you over there. Enough of what you're doing. You're doing – become that tyrant again. I didn't say I didn't, oh. right? And and then I did, and it all started falling apart. And you, you started right? – okay. So, you, hey, hey, you know, you're fucking up here. And, and by the way, I've lived through the only reason it's going bad is because it's my fault, right? So I've learned that lesson, right? There's no one left. I was there when I was pointing the finger at everyone else of the problem. And then I had to, I came, I've had the epiphany of I'm the only problem here and everything else is a result of what I'm doing. So when, I, when it's not going good, it's time to reflect on what am I doing wrong? And, and maybe, maybe it's, I've taken control again. Maybe mm. I need to let people have control again. Maybe I need to take a step back and do that. It's hard. It's hard when you're watching all of your money go out the door and you're not watching it come back in and you know what? And you don't know where the problem is. It's right. It's hard to put faith in the people around you, right? But you have to. It's the only way out. It's the only way to make it better, right? So, that, I, I, and I'm not sitting here trying to preach that I'm 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 the know-it-all. I, I, I'm sitting here trying to say that that's what's worked for me, and um, that's how I managed to not fall on my face again, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's real hard to say, you know what? I put you here because you're 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 learning too, but you're I believe you to be the best person for the job. And I'm going to put that faith back in you. And I made a mistake when I came in here and pulled the rug out from underneath you and you're back in charge. And, 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 and that's, that's, 
I make that mistake. I, I have that problem when there's an issue to grab the reins. And I'm, I'm, I'm working to become the leader that steps back and says, okay, this is what you got to do. This is the way I see it. What do you think? What do you think I'm not seeing here? Okay, go do it. Let me know if you need help. And that, that, that's, that's the approach that I'm trying to get better at because uh, there's no doubt when, 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 it, when it gets turbulent, my natural instinct is to go in there. I mean, I'm, I'm always th- – give me the ball. Right, yeah. uh, and and I'll I'll score the touchdown. That's my natural instinct, yeah. and it's uh it's it, it. Paul Reed says that a lot, especially in USA. Hey, my best thinking is usually the worst idea, right? It's, <laughs> my best thinking is the alcoholic drug addict that will go down that wormhole of being a tyrant, and so my best thinking is typically the wrong one. Um, the best idea that I've found works is to to to, to put faith in the people around you. Not an easy thing to do. I'm thinking no. about leadership right now. The people in my life that have, I have looked at and said, that is a good leader. And I'm thinking about a couple people right now, one in a previous business that I was involved in. And some of these people that, that come into our lives, um, they don't seem like they would fit a leadership role. They just, I think about this one guy named Evan. I used to work work for this guy. Jewish guy that, you know, just was... From Miami, you get this look in your head, you know, of what a, Jew, a Jewish Miami guy had lived there and grown up his whole life. But, man, I respected the hell out of that guy. Yeah. And, you know, I'll tell you one of the reasons I did is that he allowed me to run my department the way I wanted to run the department. And there was something empowering. When somebody you respect gives you and empowers you to do something and puts a responsibility on your shoulder, there's, there's almost like that burden that you like, oh, i got to bear this now. Um, it's, oh, shoot, I better rise to the occasion. I think people would do well to understand that you can probably carry a hell of a lot more than what you think you can. And when somebody steps up and gives you the opportunity to carry it, you know, it's a, it's a pretty powerful feeling. Well, and from the leader's perspective, they can carry a lot more than they're showing you they can carry. So tough so, to learn, yes. So let them do it, you know, give them the weight. And, then, and then, you know, uh, that, that's the – that's tough to do, you know. That's yeah, that's that's next level tough, right? Because it's like, it's not natural for a leader, right? The leader wants to get in there and solve the problem, and and you know, there's a there's a video on YouTube I reference a lot. I actually did a talk at a uh, at Grace and Grind. I was asked to speak, and uh, you know, I'm really getting tired of talking the whole lump sum thing, so I I, I switched gears <laughs> on it. And it we'll, was, we'll talk about it in a minute. Oh sure, <laughs> but the uh, the. Uh, it was um, how to start a movement, right? And uh, it shows that the video shows uh, it's got it's a it's a crowd at a concert, an outdoor concert kind of thing, a bunch of college kids. And one guy stands up and starts flailing his arms, right? And he does it long enough, and then he, the the moral of the story is this: as the first couple show up, he turns, embraces them as an equal, shows them how to do the dance, and then he goes back to dancing. And everyone else is kind of just doing the dance with him. They're all emulating each other, right? And before long, masses of people are showing up. And now it was the lone idiot. And, yeah, he'll be the one that gets the credit for starting the movement. But the movement is so much greater, and you don't even see the guy in the crowd, right? So I was thinking about that uh, because it's a real cool story about how to make a movement happen, how to be a leader. And uh, it's also the, another moral in the story is the leader is really kind of a, a, a you know, over-exonerated thing. It's like 
uh, maybe exonerated is not the right word, over over appreciated thing because the 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 leader isn't really the one making the movement. It's the sub leaders around him that have shown that that can really fold it over. But what 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 kind of happens there is there there the the movement becomes so big that you can't see the 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 leader mm-hmm. right he's gone right before we came to florida my whole team uh i took everybody because you know and all their families and everything i knew we were going to be gone for a while and i took everybody bowling we rented out a bowling air uh, a bowling uh some lanes and, and like a big section in this thing where they serve food and everything and um the general manager of the place comes in to uh you know tell us thank you and all that kind of stuff you know and uh wayne uh who's one of my older guys was sitting there on the couch and he goes up to him and he's thanking him you know and he's going through the whole thing of you know we really appreciate your business and wayne's just yeah absolutely man you know (laughs) wayne didn't see what was happening what was happening was we were all in a room and you couldn't pick out who the leader was Uh and i was like whoa this is cool Mm -hmm. we all blend we're one big family here like the guy didn't know who was in charge, so he just went to the old guy, yeah. right? Uh, which was cool. For me. Like, never corrected the guy, let it happen, did the whole thing because I don't want, I don't care about that. I'm, I'm glad, you know. He, you know, I appreciate that they're thankful for our business, but more importantly, I appreciate that my team moves so fluid that you don't even know who's who, right? And that that's super cool position to be in, man. And when that happened, that was really cool. You know, when I think about that video, what I always took from it, I think it's a good lesson for entrepreneurs who are trying to make a movement wherever there aren't any industry. Yeah. And that is that you don't have to convince the thousand people who end up joining that guy in the dance. Yeah. You don't. In my opinion, the most important people in that entire video were the two or three, I think it was two or three, that are the first ones to join them. Yeah. Those people, in my opinion, take the biggest risk in the video Mm -hmm. because they have to take the risk to buy into the entrepreneur. Entrepreneur, who's the first guy dancing his ass off, that guy does well to understand keeping the – you're in the storm, man. You're dancing by yourself. You you don't need a 1,000 people to believe in you. You need one or two people to believe in you to start a movement. That's all you need. Once he had the one or two that are dancing around him, all the other people look and go – Oh, I guess this guy has a little bit of legitimacy. Yeah, sure. I'll don't start dancing. Miss out on it. I don't yeah. want to miss out. <laughs> yeah. it, but it, it takes those first two yeah. to take a real deep understanding of themselves and to go, I'm taking a chance on this guy. But I think it's really cool for entrepreneurs to go, you don't need to make a movement in a thousand. Yeah. You need one or two people to believe in you, and you can get where you want to go. You can influence an industry. So that's when you asked me before we went down this wormhole, yeah, it was like, fine. how did you do it? It was like, well, the first thing I did was I got the right girl pregnant. <laughs> you know? yeah. No, when I no, tell you my wife it. is was the first follower and my wife dove in and like aligned her life. She was the first person to align her life with where I was going. I always my whole life had an idea that I was going to do something, right? Something big. And I think we all have that, right? Like we all have that idea in us. Um, it was my wife was the first one that stepped up and no matter what she was along for the ride and, and rolled her sleeves up and went to work. Right. And then like along the way, she is now the one that teaches everyone about my culture. When you, uh, when you can stand in front of my entire company and ask anyone who's really in charge, they'll all tell you Hunter. Right. The truth of the matter is, is she's actually the, 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 the Lieutenant of the deal and it's her class her grace, her, her, 
mindset that actually is what my company is, right? Not everybody in my company can be me, right? I don't want in a bunch of me's running around. But if I had a few hunters, like my life is great. So my, my wife is the one that carbon copies throughout the company. And, and man, I, I, I got so lucky in finding her. And, and so that's the, when you asked me about it earlier, that's why I said, well, I mean, you know, uh, about a month later we showed up with Hunter. <laughs> uh, so that, that's what it was. It was those first few followers. And there's, and there's been some that have come and gone. And I tell people all the time uh, when I hire them and, and when I'm, when I'm interviewing folks uh, or whatever, it's, you know, they, you know, I explain their job and I say, Here, here's my job. My job is to grow you until you outgrow me. Right. If, uh, if, if, if I can keep you around forever, great. If, if, because there was a lot of people that probably would have loved to have had me around in the car business and insurance or whatever. Um, but if one day comes that you've outgrown me, man, I'm going to, I'm going to shake your hand and send you on the way and give you great blessings as long as it all happens the right way. Right. So my job is to continue growing people, whether or not they outgrow me is irrelevant. I think a lot of, a lot of owners end up, a lot of business leaders end up uh, resentful when people don't stay around forever, right? There are some of those that, that are going to be around forever. I, I mean, I got uh, folks I believe will be around forever. Well, it's, my wife's one of them. She's contractually obligated at this point, right? Um, <laughs> you know, at that point. Uh, but with that being said, we also have to understand that not everybody's going to be around forever, and it's our job to grow them so they can go off and do their things in the world, and we always have to be recruiting and growing new people. So. Yeah. That is a tough lesson to learn. You know, some people like myself, we tend to take it personally at times. Yeah. And you want people to be there for you. You know what I mean? You want them to stick by you. But I want to talk about this company you're, you're saying sure. now. You know, Hunter's really running that day-to-day, -day, let's say. Um, Brad, you've got your hands in a couple of different things. You know, you're a, obviously with the success you've had. Hard not to, you know, kind of have your hand in a few different things. I Leadership is – Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> and I would expect none, nonetheless – but your company has been a little bit different in that the model in which you employ within your company is much different than other roofing contractors. Yeah. If you can briefly un help me understand, or for someone who's never heard of it, what a lump sum model means, because I think that, to give a little backstory, roofing contractors and anyone in the restoration or storm chasing or storm game, you've maybe only heard of two ways to do things. You do cash jobs and finance them, or on the insurance side, you get an insurance estimate and you go battle an insurance company or adjuster to get what you want. Yeah. Lump sum is different. Tell me what you do differently than other contractors out there, how your company runs. So, I mean, we, it, we titled it the lump sum sales process, right? Because one of the, one of the things that, um, and this kind of goes back to the John Hotelling uh, was was teaching the difference between lump sum and cost plus, and these are the two types of estimates you can give. Um, so, uh, if I was going to build a skyscraper, um, I would or say 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 you were going to build a skyscraper and you were going to hire me to be the contractor. Uh, we you would come to me and say, Brad, uh, you know, I want to see what it's going to be, uh, and we you know a big estimate package we put together. Uh, coupled with engineer reports and plans and soil samples and all this kind of stuff to make sure that the skyscraper can sit on the ground. There's a lot, a real complicated thing. And you would say, I want to bid in cost plus and in lump sum. And you'd say, okay, uh, the cost plus bid that I would give you would be, this is what I think it'll cost. This is the, the outline. Now, any um, changes that may happen, 
you bear the risk on. So what we're going to do is we're going to lock in a contract where maybe I'm going to bill you 28% or 20% over the cost. And what that does is I'm going to say it's a billion-dollar skyscraper. If it comes out at $800 million, you only owe me another one point six, uh, $160 million, right? Another 20%, right? If it comes out at $1.2 billion, you're going to owe me 2.4 on top of that, right? So, or, or 240 million on top of that. My math, real quick here. I understand. But the point is, is whenever you hire me under the cost plus model, um, we're locked into an overhead and profit of whatever the cost is, right? Why is that a benefit to you? You may want to take the risk of doing it for 800 million, saving a bunch of money, right? Um, we may have it dialed in, but I'll also tell you, you can look online. There's a bunch of boats called change order is the name of them. And contractors make a living off of change orders, which is what cost what happens in a cost plus model. We send a lot of change orders over. We make a lot of money. So I, a big practice is to maybe send you the bid at 800 million, knowing that I'm going to have $200 million worth of change orders coming. It's a game. This is the way insurance companies do bidding. Why? Because when you have a lot of variables, if you can imagine the variables that happen when building a skyscraper, insurance companies also have a lot of variables to deal with. They're not just talking about roofing. They're from the ground up, every building that they insure across all kinds of different types of construction, and they have to figure out a way to quantify those variables, right? And they have to figure out a system, and this is the system that works for them. They teach their adjusters to manipulate cost plus estimating, right? The only job an adjuster has is to go in there and figure out how to manipulate the cost of a job. That's why he adjusts it. He's called an adjuster, mm -hmm. right? Lump sum, completely opposite. I come to you and I say, hey, man, uh, I realize that it, our initial estimate over here on cost plus may be a billion, but we're going to estimate it at 1.2, and we're going to carry all the risk. So, like, when materials double overnight, my problem. And that happened in 2000. Uh, 1920 whenever COVID-19 happened materials labor everything went through the roof if I had signed a contract like that with you in 2019 I'm holding the bag all you owe me is 1.2 mm -hmm. right so cost plus doesn't mean that I'm not giving you some breakdown and just you know giving you a number and saying this is it and not explaining how my estimate works a lot of people get confused on that I mean I'm sorry lump sum it doesn't what lump sum says is yeah here's what we're going to do here's our entire scope of work Mm -hmm. but you're locked in at this price. We may bid a little bit higher to account for any variances, right? So I'm not going to bid it at the same billion. I'm going to make sure that I'm covering my ass here. Mm -hmm. But you also get peace of mind in knowing this is what it cost, right? So what we did was we – and, and John brought this to light. John Hotelling did. He, he said, look, insurance companies are using this cost plus model because they're getting into the litigation and they're saying, hey, what was your actual cost? Oh, you didn't just bill us for 20% profit. You also billed us for the profit with inside the roof too. And everybody was just using um, Xactimate to arrive at a bottom line number, right? Not knowing the difference. But we started being accused of fraud. We were coming in and, oh, you weren't really making 20%. You're making 40%. No, what I was doing was I was using your model just to try and get to a number that would work. We stepped away from that whole trap. The whole time, if you'll think back when I was telling you about me being an insurance agent, at the end of the day, if you can get past the adjuster and just get the invoice into the payment process and people, 
they actually owe for the reasonable cost incurred. They don't get to dictate what the price is. So I knew from those days that that was all Fugazi. We just had to get past the adjuster. Well, how do you get past the adjuster? Well, according to the policy, whenever there's a disagreement between the insurance company and the homeowner, um, if they have a disagreement over price or scope, then it's supposed to go to appraisal, right? Before we sue each other, we've we've signed an arbitration agreement that says we agreed to arbitration or appraisal, and this is the process we'll go forward to decide what the cost or the the um, was it the 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 cost of the, the 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 loss or whatever it is. So it encompasses both scope and price. So what we said was, well, here's our cost. Here's what it costs right here. There's no O and P on top of this. There's no Fugazi. There's none of that. This is the scope of work we're going to do. This is the price. Turn this into your insurance company, and if they have a problem with it, tell your adjuster they can either pay the contractor's invoice or take you to appraisal. And it started working. Like, it's checkmate. They really don't have a job. They have a, Their only job is to figure out how to manipulate pricing, right? Mm -hmm. The whole reason why appraisal was invented was to keep pricing honest because contractors back in the day would inflate prices to cover deductibles and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the manipulation and inflation has changed. On top of that, the system they were using kind of started failing because prices went through the roof and uh, the, uh, you know, the, the exact mate was the, the pricing model was curving down. Adjusters were getting better at manipulating. They weren't paying for what they were supposed to. And that was, we were walking on a knife's edge for a long time. Then all of a sudden, overnight, material and labor went through the roof and everyone's sitting there losing money. So they started looking for a way, how in the world am I, why am I losing money? And here I was doing jumping back saying, jumping jack saying, quit playing that game, turn it in and let the homeowners fight their insurance company for you. Why are we talking to insurance companies? Why do I care what an adjuster says? Right? So we had, but the problem in lies, we have this whole culture of within the industry of only dealing with, uh, we want to deal with the insurance company here, just sign this contingency or sign this AOB and we'll, we'll take care of the insurance company because we speak their language. Sure. And what the insurance company started doing was as long as we just, hold this out and delay, deny, defend. Eventually the homeowner gets mad at the contractor because I promised you I was going to handle this and now I'm not handling it. So I'm the asshole. They started playing that game. We set it up from the very beginning. Listen, I'm not going to play games with your insurance company. Their job is to try and save money. Here's how you get fast forward past all that BS. You tell them either pay my contractor's invoice or take me to appraisal. If there's a problem at appraisal, and I'm wrong, I'm willing to honor the appraisal price. If they're wrong, they have to honor the appraisal price. There's a third-party system for this. Here it is. Here's how you do it. And that's what we set up. It's a completely different sale from the beginning. And a lot of, a lot of pushback I got from contractors in the beginning was everyone was trying to fit their sales model of don't worry about it, we'll take care of it, into what I'm doing, and this doesn't work that way. It, it's you have to teach the homeowner how to go out and advocate for themselves. Would you even meet with the adjuster out there when he came back out? I typically don't care. All right, I, so I mean, I will if a homeowner wants me to, but I typically don't care. So let me kind of walk through this, and I got a couple mm -hmm. questions for you about it because I want to make sure I understand it correctly. All right, 
With your model right here, you're basically turning an insurance job almost into a cash job that's working through the insurance company. Sure. Almost like turning to retail from what I can see. Absolutely. Which is a much I'm not a smart guy. I've never been that guy who can look at numbers and stuff. So this this rings well to me as a as a little bit of a dumbo. And I mean that. That what I'm doing is I'm going out there, person says they've got some damage, they filed an insurance claim. Cool, 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 you filed an insurance claim. Whatever to me. Because normally it'd be Great, you filed an insurance claim. When is the adjuster coming out? I'm going to come out and meet him. I'm going to work all the stuff, contingency agreement, AOB, wherever you're at in the country. All that stuff I don't get Boom. paid for. Yeah, not, <laughs> not my All right, we're going to be right back to that podcast, everyone. But first, I want to introduce you to a product that is changing the game in roofing. I am talking about my friends at Equipter. Um, a couple months ago, I had the chance to go visit their plant, their factory. They should just call it a university up there in PA. And they do things the right way. If you have not heard of Equipter, visit them at Equipter.com. They have revolutionized the way that people remove debris from the job site. It's not just roofers. It's anybody that's doing a restoration project on a large scale. Here's how it works. Traditionally, you had a dumpster. You roll it up to the job site, drop it in a driveway, maybe the front uh, of their street. And then when you're doing the job somewhere else on the property, you have to lug your way. You have to get that debris all the way over to that dumpster. That costs time and money, and it doesn't look good either. With Equipter, revolutionizes that. It actually brings the dumpster around the site and even up to the roof. This means you're going to have a better customer experience, there's going to be less damage, and the job is going to move quicker, which means more money in your pocket and more opportunities to take on more work. That's what contractors want. Equipter makes that possible. I'm fortunate to have a number of clients that use Equipter, and they all talk about how many more jobs they can get done without the wasted time of a traditional dumpster. So here's what you do. Go over to Equipter.com, let them know that Patrick sent you. They'll tell you all about the different options you have. Large ones, smaller dumpsters, but all of them are mobile, and all of them are going to help you on a job site. Again, that is Equipter.com. Let them know Patrick sent you and get more cost effective on your jobs, more jobs to do. And like I said, cut that bottom line with that cost going down. And that means you're going to make more money. Until next time, everyone, we'll get back to that episode right now here on the Patrick Car Show. So I want to do that right now then, because you're All saying, right. where is it? Tell me the tangible difference here between, let's say, a one industry, one model that was pushed this past year and you saying, I want to still be involved with the process, because what does that look like? As the adjuster comes out there, as the homeowner realizes the insurance company is now maybe starting to take take the wheel away from them, mm-hmm. how how are you getting involved in, in the process of still guiding but not being involved with the process? Yeah, yeah. Well, so steps on the front end are pretty pretty simple. We go out and we uh, assess the damage. We put together our reports, photo reports, the whole deal. And we show it to the client. Um, I, I want to stop because I think some people might think you just go out there, little line item thing. Mm-hmm. There's your estimate. You put you put time into this. I, this I is your. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean. Okay. Yeah, we we go through. I mean, uh, and that's a good question because a lot of guys think that we're, you know, it's just like roof thirty thousand dollars, and that's a lump sum. No, man, that's that's like I tell everybody that writes an estimate, write one that you would buy, right? You want to know what you're purchasing, aside from whoever or whatever is involved in it, insurance or not. You know, write out an estimate that explains what we're doing here. You know. Yeah itemize it right uh that that's that's a key part like i don't there's no point in going out there and putting roof some people may buy that right some people may just say okay yeah you're going to do my roof i trust you to do it up to code i trust you to do it the right way 
having a little bit of itemization and understanding what we're buying, great. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to cater it to be exactly what an insurance company cares to read about. What matters is what your customer understands and they, they understand to be a full roof replacement or whatever whatever work you're doing. And let me tell you, that's not necessarily just to protect the customer. I can't tell you how many times we've gone out there. If I put, we're going to replace your roof, $30,000, customer signs off on it. Yep. Customer believed that I was supposed to do all their decking too. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't, you know, it's no. to protect you, right? Absolutely. So you should absolutely itemize your estimates. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, so itemizing, yeah, but please go on. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. So we do that. We put a full comprehensive package together with all of our, you know, codes and all the things that we are supposed to. We give the homeowner the ammunition to go and fight their claim, right? And And, and explain to their insurance company. We also take the scope of work. We call it CRISP at our company. In order to generate that estimate, I just told you, we need a contract. We need a roof measurement report. We need an inspection sheet. We need a photo report. And we need a scope of work from your insurance company. CRISP, right? We sit down with the homeowner with our package and the insurance company's package. And that's where we say, oh, look, they only paid for, well, like in Florida, one layer of felt. Mm-hmm. Well, in Florida, it has to be two layers or ice and water shield, right? Um, here's where theirs is different. Here's is where ours is different. This is why we're different. And, I mean, the average customer can sit there and look at the two and say, oh, yeah, well, that makes sense. Here's the code on why we have to use that, right? And here's how roofing's done, and this is what they pay for it. I don't get involved in talking about how they're trying to scam you or anything like that i don't just think that i think that puts a bad light anyway we've kind of pitched it as look adjusters aren't roofers they're adjusters and they have their job and they're supposed to fall in within their metrics and their guidelines and do their thing and by the way they're going out and they're doing 20 a day or whatever it is they're doing right he's sitting in a hotel room he's up here from iowa and he's trying to bang out these things as quickly as possible mm-hmm. my job's to slow the process down and make sure that it's done right we sit down with the homeowner, explain the whole thing, and then we tell them, submit this to your insurance company. Here's what's going to happen. They're going to call back and tell you all the reasons I'm wrong and all the reasons that they're not going to pay for that and everything. The only thing you have to do is tell them either pay my contractor's invoice or take me to appraisal. The appraisal process is where we remove the adjuster out of the conversation, and it's going to go to the appraisal process. So that's their side's going to hire somebody. We're going to refer you to an appraiser here that's going to hire the, uh, that's going to represent you, not us, you. And if they have to, they'll go to an umpire who will make a decision for them. And that will come out at a, what a reasonable cost for this roof is if we have to go that far. And here's the deal, Mr. Customer. Seven times out of ten, what we do is we get a call back that says, hey, I've been reassigned to the claim. What do we got to do to settle it? Right? If you hold the line on either you can pay it or we're going to appraisal, typically what happens is it gets kicked up to somebody that gets ready to get rid of this claim because I have not gone to an appraisal yet that I haven't won, right? On the flip side of that, if it does go to appraisal, it goes that route, takes a little bit, we arrive at a good number, and then we get to put a good roof on your house. And furthermore, if the insurance company doesn't want to honor appraisal or doesn't want to go to appraisal or doesn't want to pay or whatever, I have a long list of attorney friends that you may need to talk to, right? Because at that point, they're kind of, they made the rules, you signed the policy, and now they don't want to go with the rules. They want to play their own game. And so if we have to go that far, which we rarely do, I have a long list of friends that you may want to meet, right? So that's the path. 
is that what that doesn't do is that doesn't tie my salespeople up into fighting insurance claims all day. Calling insurance companies, where's the claim at? Who's got it? What are you thinking? All of that. I just have to do it every day. We're 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 walking around. We're still servicing the client. I'm not signing the client up for a bunch of debt, right? Um, uh, now, if the client says, you know what, Brad, I'm willing to do all that, but I need a roof on my house. Can we go ahead and do this before we we get a settlement? That's up to you, Mr. Customer. I've got uh, finance partners, Chris Scoval. I'll give him a shout-out right now, man. Those guys over at Service Finance do a great job. We we introduce them. They go in there. They finance a roof. They put a roof on. We're happy to build it. We're still going to help you walk you through the appraisal. You can still have access to all of my resources and all the people that we use and the vendors and all that good stuff, PAs, attorneys, whoever fits you best. My point is, is my difference, to answer your question, between what the one industry, one model thing is and what we're doing is we – we help customers advocate for themselves. And there's a big difference between I'm going to go out and represent a customer to an insurance company. I'm going to talk to you like you're my neighbor, and I'm going to tell you what I've seen work and who you need to speak to and who I would recommend you speak to, be it an attorney or a PA or an appraisal guy. Two questions about that they may be asking. I sure. you, Brad. You know, the first thing I like about it, it's not really a question, but I think that what you talked about here in number two was very important that you were speaking to the homeowner regarding your estimate, not regarding the scope of their policy. Yeah, their policy is irrelevant to me. I don't know what their policy is. Well, this is important, especially yeah. in Florida. You know, what we've seen here is has been a real push by our legislature. Yeah, SB 76. Uh, yeah, yeah, SB 76. Do not speak about, you know, the policy. And you're not getting around that. You're just, I'm not speaking policy. I'm saying this is my estimate. This is how I do work. This is what their estimate is. Yeah. Do I understand that correctly? Yeah. Second thing I want to ask you here, though, you mentioned as part of the CRISP that you have to have a contract that is signed. Mm -hmm. What does the contract incur here as you are being, you're not auxiliary, you're on the outside helping the homeowner. What does it look like, that contract with them? So we have we have two contracts, right? One One's the initial agreement that's... Uh, some color contingency some of it a uh, some i think in florida i think it's now they're they're it's not obviously aobs and, and i've never liked aobs i've been a, i've been a guy that's been outspoken against aobs since the beginning oh, we're going to talk about that i'm a big fan i'm i'm down i'm <laughs> happy i'm let's happy talk, to go let's down talk about it. let's go down there um I'm so they, the 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 one that they have now is assignment of contract uh or, or whatever it is right um so uh with, with an intent to pay kind of thing our directive to pay, I think it's called. Yep. Uh, our our first contract's just, uh, I guess, kind of like a contingency, which in purpose in court would never hold up to someone awarding me something. I don't care. I'm never suing a customer over a contingency. What I want is some sort of commitment. On line six of my contingency, it says we agree to do two things. Either we'll come to an agreement with your insurance company on the price and scope, or we'll do it for whatever comes out of appraisal. Those are the two things that will start, that will trigger us to build and, and lock you into an actual build contract. Now, separately, once we reach one of those, either an agreement with the insurance company or we've gone to an appraisal and we've gotten an award, we have an actual build contract that we, we put together for, you know, that list, you know, color and all that kind of stuff that we, you know, upgrades, all that stuff over here, as well as, you know, rebuilding the roof so there's a, a new contract a build contract when it's time to build on the front end we don't we don't even know what we're what how can i tell you how much it's gonna um, what we're gonna do the job for to restore your home if we don't even know what the scope is yet 
right? Mm-hmm. I can't give you a price without a scope. I can't give you a, a, a job without a scope. So we have to come to an agreed scope and price before uh, beforehand. So the the contingency contract that I require is just a commitment from a customer that says, "Hey, you're my contractor," yeah. right? And, and otherwise, I can't. I can't. I couldn't go into a storm and just work for everybody without some sort of commitment, right? We have to get into bed together. When you go to the doctor's office, you have to sign some forms before you ever get behind the door. That's the, that's the deal. Right. Uh, And I'm, you know, if you're not willing to do that, you maybe need to find another doctor. Right. (laughs) When I was doing collections there, Brad, we would have contractors that would come to us and they'd constantly have these contingency agreements and they'd say, they look line item number nine, they owe me $3,000 if they decide to break this agreement. <laughs> and I sit there and go look at them and go, listen, I know that's what the contract says. In a perfect world, you're right because they're sons of the guns and they yeah. went with another contract that's a competitor. I know you're upset and you want to screw them. I get it. But unless, what cost have you incurred right now as a contractor? Zero. Do you have, do you have delivery of any materials? Negligible cost. Yeah. yeah. De- <laughs> you know, delivery of any materials or anything like that that you have to go pick up, dumpster, anything? No, not yet. Yeah. Forget it. You're not going to get that. But I agree with you, though. There needs to be a formal agreement between people. Yeah. I'm respecting you. You're respecting me. Yeah. That's I mean, all it is. It's, yeah. it, it, we used to call it a uh, – we used to have a four square in the car business, right, where yeah. you'd sit down and you'd, you'd have, like, the cost of the car, the cost of the trade, how much down payment, and what the payments would be. And you, we would use this form to find out where your objections are and oh, then land it. you. And then I'd turn around and I'd, I'd get you to sign off a commitment. Are you driving away with a car with that force? I love that when they do that. You know what I mean? I find it so – I think it's a great move, it's man. It's a great move. Well, like six seventy nine. Is that – you're saying if I can get it for this right here, yep. sign off right here. Right. I, I'm like, yes, you're All it me. is is circle here and initial. I have a commitment yep. now. Yep. Right? Now the it. process can start. Oh, I love it. So all I care about is some sort of commitment that lets my office know, okay, time to go into process. Uh, so that, that's, that, that's all it is. I, I get, I get pushed back on this contingency thing from God. Well, it never holds up. I don't give yeah, a don't shit. <laughs> you know, we got to show faith a little bit in yeah. people that if you go, most people in collections, I got very skewed by this because I get files all the time and think, man, everybody is screwing everybody over. In reality, it's not the case. Yeah. You get a good commitment. You work hard on behalf of a homeowner. You guide them through yeah. with this is what my estimate is. That speaking estimate only. Yeah. I think you've got a relationship that you can build that's pretty darn strong. My last question for you about this: You talk about appraisal and that you would help them have somebody to represent them at appraisal, right? Sure. I think you need somebody to help you with appraisal. I see this big mistake that homeowners make, and I think they're about to make it a lot in Florida as they are making appraisal something that's going to be binding arbitration. Let's say now mm-hmm. they're going to start offering that in policies now since two A passed about a, what, a couple of weeks ago, whatever mm-hmm. it was. Um, I think homeowners are going to make a mistake of not having representation. They're going to walk in there with a couple pictures, bro, and what they're going to do is think, oh, I've got all my documentation, and they're going to get steamrolled yeah. by billion-dollar attorneys who are meant to do this, and they're not going to have a clue what happened to them when they walk out of there. So I like how do you how do – you, do, you, do you explain to them, hey, listen, you've never done an appraisal before. You have no idea what you're walking into. You don't even know what an, ump- you know, an umpire is here. Let us at least – Put somebody in your corner? Well, the way I explain it is, you know, well, you're dealing with your home, right? And, you know, as routine as buying a house is, right, mm-hmm. you still have an agent that represents you. Then we still have attorneys that put all the documents together. Like, I'm sorry, but when you're dealing with several thousand dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, when you're dealing with big moves in your life, it's, it's a really good idea to hire professionals. I mean, I've got a... I mean, a, a, a Rolodex at this point of attorneys that are working on things at all different angles, from people that we're chasing money from to people that are chasing money from us to, you know, everything in between, right? 
I never knew that I was going to have to deal with so many attorneys in my life, right? And uh, guys I have great relationships with, right? I highly recommend if you're going to be dealing with something to do with, you know, the biggest investment that most people have is their home. And if you're going to be dealing with something that can severely affect the value, uh, the, 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 the security, the, the, the structure of your whole investment portfolio, which is most people, you probably should have an attorney or someone at least advocating on your side because you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. But Brad, let's just say I'm that homeowner. I come to you. I'm like, Brad, I know we got to do this, man. And I've never been to an appraisal before. I don't have any money. I mean, I don't have, how much is this going to cost me? I mean, they've got to be, there's got to be some concerns, especially for your, maybe not elderly, but your fixed income individuals. That, well, what am I getting myself into here? Well, I mean, you know, in truth, all of that comes out of the claim. Uh, okay. You know, the, and, and I get, I get questions about that, right? The, the truth of the matter is, is when it goes to appraisal, it then goes back into that cost plus model situation where they use that to all of a sudden it's okay to use that as a model to find a final settlement, right? Well, the actual cash value payments on everything are actually the homeowners and overhead and profit is included in the actual cash value payment. There's court case on that. That's the homeowner's money until they assign it to a contractor. So I have not seen uh, and this is, we deal with some great guys. I'm sure this happens, but I have not seen in my case, I want to make that clear that it's strictly to my experience. I have not seen where appraisal has come back and the homeowner owed anything out of pocket. Um, it usually comes from the claim. Now I am sure we don't get involved in filing. We don't go through the appraisal process unless we are sure we're right. Right. And I don't ever recommend that unless we're sure we're right. So at my at my office, before we start handing out appraisal requests, my managers are reviewing it, looking at it, making sure this is one that we want to go fight on. Right. Before we recommend our guy to go speak with a homeowner. I, I, I caution everybody and my talks. Uh, the last slide uh, on, on my lump sum thing talks about greed. Please, God, don't use this and just, like, throw a bunch of shit on the wall and hope it sticks because, like, what happens is it starts getting used, overused and not used properly and people going out and just putting everything through appraisal. Well, then they start putting in mechanisms to offset it and defeating it, right? I think it should be used properly. Mm -hmm. And when used properly, those costs shouldn't, shouldn't come back to the homeowner. I think that those costs come out of things like overhead and profit or – uh, ACV on, on trades that maybe homeowners don't want to deal with, like maybe their gutters or something like that. You know, these things happens all the time. So, um, where I, where I try to guide people, uh, uh, you know, we only do roofing, right? Um, I don't get involved in billing for the gutters and receiving the RCV payments and putting that money in people's pockets and moving on and doing the roof. I know that happens. I, I'm, I strongly advise against it because, the audits are getting more frequent. People are going to end up more and more in jail over stuff like that. And I surely wouldn't recommend anybody doing something like that in Florida. We keep clear of all things like that. And at the end of the day, I, I, I want to make this clear too. Sometimes if a customer can't foot that, if a customer can't swallow that, Hey, you may have to pay 1500 bucks. Then maybe not our customer. Yeah. And that that's just the situation. At the end of the day, if none of that makes sense, then they just don't fit for this. 
and that and and I'm sorry that happened that happens you know a handful of times uh, uh, you know a month right it's like two or three customers just for whatever reason they can get it done with chuck and truck and they're happy with that and that's the route they want to go we're never going to stop all that what i care about is finding the business that works for me yeah i relate to the car business if you keep on turning that paper around and they keep on saying no and then they're asking for you know the new floor mats and they want the tinted windows when they leave and they're still not willing to do it for 479 you've dropped it as far just let some people walk away that's going to be a bigger problem to you than you could ever realize um why are more people doing this brad because for me this makes sense. If I, I think about when I sold, you know, doing door-to-door and I was doing the tile division, um, I would think this is a much simpler model. Mm-hmm. The first thing that comes to my mind is people don't have enough confidence in themselves to write the estimate appropriately and to, have, to say, okay, I'm right. Tell your homeowner you're right. Believe yeah. in themselves and follow through on it. There's got to be some other reasons, though, that individuals don't use lump sum like this. Well, there's, uh, I mean, that's probably a loaded question, right? So it's like, well, there's probably a little bit of element of old dog, new trick. Okay. You know, there's, there, you know, a lot of guys do it the way it's always worked for them and they're not changing. That's, you know, fair enough. Um, there's a little bit, like you mentioned, there's some added work. It's not necessarily that it's so much more simple. It's just different, right? So there's, there's, um, there's, there's, a, there's a point when, uh, you know, you still have to put in a whole lot of work to make this happen when it comes to, like, how do we what's our process for putting our estimates together yep. what's our how do we train our people what trainings out there that talks about this sales process because all the training that's out there is geared up differently and most of the people that are training me are PAs and attorneys and folks that want to teach teach contractors how to set claims up for them right and not necessarily set claims up for the homeowner and for the contractor. And that's not to knock on that. Look, I know all those guys and I love them to death. I mean, I, you know, God bless them. Right. And, and, and their, but their model is to funnel business to them. Right. And, and, and um, you know, that's, that may not be the most efficient way for a contractor to handle it when dealing with a homeowner. So, you know, there's a lot of white noise out there. Um, I, I, I liken it to the time that I, I, I and this this may be a little bit of an off topic example, but I was talking with Jack uh, Hanks one time. who's a one of, a, a good friend and, and probably one of the most accomplished PAs out there. But he was we we were digging into this lump sum uh, thing, and you know he was trying to understand it right. And what we arrived at was, you know, they have to discern between ACV and RCV payments. And I don't care what the ACV is; I care about the RCV, right? So when a when a claim's being set up for Jack from the jump it has to be set up completely different and documented completely different and run down a completely different train than the way i do things that's fair enough that jack wants to teach guys how to you know set claims up to make his job easier when he gets them i i i understand that and 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 definitely think he should right he should teach people how to set things up for him if they want to do business with him right but at the end of the day what I care about is setting claims up to where I can efficiently get through the claims process and get the adjuster out of the way so we can start building. Cause I only make money when I build roofs and I only make money when the money's on the ground and the money's not on the ground until we're at a, you know, a decision. I have to figure out how to quickly get through that. So why are people not doing it as, as much? Well, the truth is, you know, in the last two years, I've seen a lot of people start doing it. I, I mean, I, my phone rings off the hook with folks trying to, figure it out and it's more and more right um i 
I, when I started this, nobody was talking about it. And then I'll cruise through the groups and I'll see somebody ask a question on how to do it. And it'll, there'll be people in the comments tell them, tell them to take you to appraisal or pay the invoice, you know? So I'm seeing folks grab a hold of it and build around it. Uh, so people are starting to do it and it's, it's actually taken a, a pretty big hold, uh, which was the mission the whole time was the, I, I didn't want to be the only idiot on the phone with an adjuster talking about, I'm not, I'm not breaking it down to Xactimate, dude. And they just laugh and hang up on me. Now they kind of have to deal with a lot of it. So I think a lot more people are getting involved in it. I think a lot more people are doing it. Um, I know this. I know that doing it the old way of don't worry about it, we'll just work with your insurance company, that's all but gone. Like there's no such thing as working with an adjuster like there was when I started in this business. So yeah, that 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 process has become elongated. That's gone exponentially. Um, yeah. And I think that these companies and I've, it's been the traditional model of locking those claims up for six to nine months while they battle them out. Um, homeowners are looking for another option. Yeah, they're looking for a way that hey, listen, I don't, I know you got to go battle with people, and I know you're going to take all the cost on, or your attorney now in let's say Florida. The attorney maybe takes on that cost for themselves. Um, however, they decide they're going to work their way around the new laws. But I, I think that there's a new way of looking at this it has to be approached. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you can't work with insurance companies, but maybe there's a different way to work with the insurance company by simply working as a guide for a homeowner to let them work their way through the process, not leaving them, but working with that homeowner yeah. um, and informing them is what I'm looking at here. Yeah. Um, what else do we need to know about lump sum? Because oh, i got a couple other questions for you. Now, I do want to say this. I'm going to put the information on the podcast for everybody who wants to work with Brad. you got questions for him. You want to know, hey, listen, how do I get this model instituted? What would be my first steps? Because for, for a guy like me, I'm looking at this stuff, and I'm thinking this model's the way to go. Maybe you've heard Jen Silver's model. You went to one of those. I'm going to say this. It doesn't matter which way you went. I mean, you, everyone can have their opinions. This seems to be a better way to do business. Um, now, if you if you believe whatever you'd say back, whatever, this is in Florida, especially a lot of my contractors, you've been thinking, how do we work our way around this? You've called me and gone, what do I do now? What's the workaround? It's a damn good workaround right here. Yeah. It's worked. It's a proven way to do business. And you remove yourself from the scope, that fall of falling into scope with the with the individual and locking things up in court, and we can see that attorneys are going to take a big hit with everything that's happened with two-way. You can't, in business, be somebody who is locked into a way of doing things just because it's the way you've always done it, or we've never done this before. Well, I have to also say, man, attorneys really love when they have an actual cost, like, and it's contracted. They yes. love going at it with... Uh, the ones I speak to anyway, they're like, man, I would much rather just, like, have an invoice that's already cost incurred and it's done and, like... Like this is That's what we're going point. to the adjuster and saying, "Hey, you got to pay this." It's not. It's not hypothetical, right? It's, it's like, no, they've already signed a contract for it to be under this. This is the build contract, right? So, it when even when you go to that, like it's already kind of checkmated there. And by the way, I'm not sitting here. It's I. I remember used to hearing all the time. It's like. Uh, well, we need to be more reasonable. Why does reasonable always mean I got to come off of my price? <laughs> you know, it's like we now. I, t I teach people, you know, you have to know the cost of what the business is. You have to live 
within good conscience of what you're charging. And one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest things in this in this industry right now, is you can't walk out there and find two contractors to rub together that can tell you what a nail cost. Nope. Right? They can't tell you what their actual profit is on a job. They've always just gone off of what Xactimate says, and they've just been good enough, right? And that's not good enough anymore, right? So those are the kinds of things that we've got to change to be able to work in this model, right? Yeah. There's a lot of things that you have to change about the way it's always been done to be able to move forward. And, and because the model that, that that old model of we'll just we'll work with your insurance company and we'll we'll work through Xactimate, people are going out of business doing that now. So yeah, they are going out of business doing that now. Leads me to the final couple questions I got for sure. you, bro. Again, everybody, if you want to learn more, how do you institute this? His information, website, how you can reach Brad, everything regarding the group. Sure. Um, we are going to put that across the bottom here. We'll put it in the comments section as well. So you have all the links that you're going to need to make that happen. Future of this industry, man. I mean, I am here in Florida. Um, I've been very outspoken about some of the law changes that we've had here. I think some of the, a lot of contractors have. But the fact is, is that they're here. Yeah, and instead of you know complaining the entire time, we've got to adjust and make make things we always do, make things work. Florida's only one state, though. You work in multiple states. Yeah. What's the future of this industry look like from a maybe a consumer's and a contractor's perspective? What do you see going on, brother? Well, uh, you know that's that's a loaded question, right? I think there's a, probably a few wormholes we can go down. Uh, well, you mentioned AOBs a minute ago. Sure, uh, that's one that I think is. Uh, is, is, is one worth mentioning that probably is, is, is a topic that's going to be a, a, a big one if it isn't already a big one. And there, there, there's a couple other Talk you know, co uh, uh, comments, I guess, is, you know, I think, I think um, the, the mergers and acquisition, the consolidation of the industry is going to be going to be a big play over the next 10 years. A lot of, a lot of big, a lot of, I heard, uh, I heard one consultant say that there's $1.2 trillion in, uh, you know, uh, what's called a, uh, uh, liquid capital waiting to deploy into the home improvement market. Mm -hmm. um, these are hedge funds that are trying to gobble this up, uh, gobble this industry. Uh, they're just trying to figure out how to do it first. And and there, you can already see some of the feelers out there, people that are doing that. Um, that's coming. Yep. Uh, you need to figure out how you're going to navigate that because uh, um, the mom and pop roofer probably won't be around for a long time, uh, which is – well, it's 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 sad for roofers, probably better for consumers in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. uh, and we can go down that wormhole. Uh, there's, you know, I worry about insurance in a lot of ways. Uh, uh, you know, the almost like in the, the 2008 thing with the too big to fail with the banks, I think insurance companies are probably holding the, uh, a, a tiger by the tail when it comes to what they're having to pay out. You're seeing in Florida, yeah. they're claiming some of them are like going bankrupt. Uh, you almost never heard of an insurance company going bankrupt, and now it's like a big topic, yeah. right? Uh, so I think that the, that there could be a, a cataclysm on the on, on the horizon. It also could be orchestrated and not true. I mean, uh, I think Lloyd's of London, which holds like a lot of the reinsurance across yeah, the, the country. Secondary market is owned by them. Yeah. Well. Uh, okay. So they're over three hundred years old and collect more premium than we collect in tax dollars in the U.S. They're gigantic. Rothschild money, right? I mean, like big, big money, and they're really, really savvy on on how to funnel money out of the country and pretend to be broke here, right? And, and so there's there's 
this is big, big money, big, big problems that I definitely am not an expert on, but I definitely know some of the experts and they, they, they've, they've voiced that there's a real problem. Um, Doug Quinn's been, been putting articles out lately a lot about how money's being funneled out with, with, uh, the APA, uh, and the work that they're doing, they're, they're monitoring that. And, you know, um, so I think there's a few big topics that are going to affect our, our life in the future that we don't really talk about right now, you know? So, yeah. Of, you know, one of the things, Brad, that I saw, and I've, I've been very outspoken against this when it comes to the insurance companies, is back when SB 76 was passed, they they said in SB, signed into law that in January of 2022, insurance companies were going to have to turn over their books. You know, it came around that time this past year, we're in 2023 now, and David Altmaier with the Office of Insurance Regulation or Advocacy, as I like to call it, mm-hmm. just said, no, we're not going to do that. You know, I, I read it that it was going to be January of 2023, and now they've pushed that back to the end of this year. and. What I think they're doing, and I think it's clear, is they, they, they don't want people to see the books. Mm-hmm. And because it makes it very difficult to say we're bleeding out here mm-hmm. in Florida mm-hmm. when you can see where that money is mm-hmm. going. How many premiums were paid out? What's the number? When's the time in which those premiums were closed? The average time to close a claim. And, and so that's where I get frustrated with this. If I could see with my own eyes, yes, you know what? They're having a tough time here. Mm-hmm. And they are drowning underneath attorney fees. I could get a lot more behind legislation, but until I see that, I'm very skeptical not, that they're not, not making money. You're not going to see that in Florida. The, yeah. the politicians here are bought and paid for by insurance companies. 100% they are. So, uh, and, and that is that is 100% because it's a shell game. They're fun, they're funneling money to offshore, offshore reinsurance companies. That's a fact. And so it's real easy for me to say, no, no, I'm losing money. Look. But what I'm doing is I'm actually paying the reinsurance company I own offshore, and I'm showing my cost here as a loss, but I'm, I'm funneling money over here. And there's no way, even if you opened up all the books in Florida, that money's never going to be accounted for. So, and, and, and the politicians here are owned by that. Uh, okay. a, a big, big portion of their, their funds come from insurance companies. So uh, you're, not, you're not ever going to see that here. Uh, I, I would not believe that insurance companies are going broke. They've been around a long, long time, yeah. and, 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 and they, they understand this game uh, very well. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. Um, you know, I'll start believing insurance companies are going broke when they stop spending so much money to not to to, to you know market themselves. Like like if I'm watching a healthy company, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm watching a healthy company. They spend a ton of money in advertising. Uh, well, uh, take Coca Cola in the '90s, right? Coca Cola was on everything. Oh yeah. Right? Coca Cola is not on everything anymore. Right, Coca Cola is nowhere near what it used to be. Right, that's the that's the sign that you can start looking at is is what kind of what kind of market share are they doing with marketing? What kind of money are they spending over here? Um, because if that money's not there and available, it's in here and keeping the business alive. They might be in trouble. That's not the case with insurance companies. Insurance companies are not in trouble. Um, that's just my observation. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I'm not. I'm not uh, an economist by any means, but it's just been my observation. I don't. Uh, I don't trust that at all. You're not going to see that. Uh, you're not going to see the books open here. So, final question here for you: Industry of roofing. Um, by the way, now they're on Coca-Cola. I can't get those darn polar bears out of my head now. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But I'll say this: I think where Coca-Cola and other big billion-dollar companies have fallen behind is they never quite understood the shift into social media, into YouTube. They still haven't caught on. Budweiser, these big companies, I think they've fallen short in how they shifted where their marketing dollars went, not understanding where the eyeballs were, that attention was a monetary value to go after. And they just didn't do enough 
they didn't switch that big ship and turn it fast enough like small companies were able to do. I'll give you a good example of that, like take Budweiser. I don't think they truly saw how much competition they were going to receive from, say, like a high noon. Like these, you know, these the craft drink, beers. Thing. The craft beers yeah. came in, and I think that oh, forget those things. And then they came in and dominated the social media market. It became, they became the thing that kids wanted, who are now twenty six, twenty seven, yeah. and they have the buying power to buy that alcohol. Yeah. I think it's a good lesson for contractors. As I ask you this question, you know, be quick when you see something. Not stupid, but don't ignore where a market is going simply because it's not something that you watch or that you're a part of. Sure, you know, you've got to be nimble, not stupid. But you've got to be nimble enough to make that change, and that's that's about yeah, that, that, you know that 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 kind of when you don't have uh, you know flexibility, you can't move, right? And and so I mean, it, it's well, it's expensive to be flexible too. Darn right. And, and uh, when you're when you're sitting there, Coca Cola, uh, you watch this in tobacco, right? So good point. Tobacco is a good one to to pay attention to. The whole world in the '90s hated tobacco. They were killing everybody, cancer everywhere, right? And um, they disappeared, but because they were they had to laws changed where you can't uh, all the marketing handcuffs they got they just can't you can't market on youtube you might yep. talk to a kid right that, that uh, tobacco you know tobacco's grown at like eight percent a year since <laughs> tobacco's gone through the roof yep. uh right yeah. so vape pen guys you all have yeah everything. exactly <laughs> tobacco has been a huge boom in market you invest in tobacco like since the 90s to now oh, like you, you could have relaxed on that right so it, it's it's not necessarily the only way to go, and I don't think that, that, that those companies are dumb to the fact that, especially now, you're not dumb to the fact yeah. of that kind of marketing. I think um, trying to navigate that pivot might be hard for them, right? Yeah. Uh, and, 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 well, and you can dial on the vine. I mean, you can take a look at Circuit City or, or Blockbuster to find out what it, not being able to pivot will do to you, right? I yeah, mean, Best Buy is trying to make the move. I tell you, Best Buy is hanging in there. They're trying there. Yeah. But next Same-day delivery they're doing from Best Buy sure. stores. Um, they're trying to make the run of it, but the final question I had for you is regarding the same thing having to do with roofing. Um, where, where are roofers right now, in your opinion, Brad? Where are they making the mistake? Where are they not adjusting where they need to be? Um, and I'm talking about that guy to make improvement in his business next week. What should he look at? Where have, where have they missed the mark for most roofing companies? If I have one underlaying issue that I wish I could change about every roofing company, and you would think that I would maybe say, like, oh, do lumps on It yeah. wouldn't be that. Uh, I think people need to learn how to put together profitable estimates and know what their profit margins are, like how to estimate jobs. I don't think that anyone knows what they're building. They're just putting numbers on paper. Uh, they're going with what they're told's fair, and they're trying to um, they, they they they're trying to win a job and focus on winning as many jobs as they can because it matters. And um, you know, not realizing until it's too late that a thirty percent margin is damn near breaking even. Um, you, you you go out there and uh, and that's why we have such high turnover in in roofers right you see guys they come on the scene and three years later they're gone right um, the reason why is because you got guys that are coming in here that don't know how to run a profitable business and uh, and what it takes right so you come in the you come in the door like I did with a hundred dollars and I didn't have overhead because I wasn't running a legit business I didn't have insurance I didn't have a license I didn't have all these things right so I could live in that world of well we can do it for 30 percent because it was all pure profit when you start stepping into running a real legitimate business and you have to if you're going to survive you have to run a legitimate business if you're going to get past a million dollars right and so you get to the million dollars and then it's like okay now I've got to start stepping into a business and then if I'm going to run that business the same way I always did 
I'm, I'm going to have to like, st I'm, I'm going to fail. Right. So now I've got to do 3 million to still make the same amount of money. Right. Well, that takes three times the, uh, the, the work and I don't have the people to help me and I fail and I fall. If I could change anything about what roofers were doing was teaching them how to actually run a real, a real business. And I don't think that that's going to necessarily happen in time before real businesses step in and gobble up large market share. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of people that just get absorbed. Yeah. Um, so uh, that, that's, that's what I see is happening. Um, I, hey, I, <laughs> again, just another guy over here that, 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 that's living in it. But, um, uh, you, well, you see things like power home remodeling. Power Home Remodeling is a big hedge fund that, uh, you know, they got like a 100-person call center and all, all this stuff, right? Power Home Remodeling starting at $900 a square. That's where their bids start. You buy a roof from Power Home Remodeling, it starts at 900 a square. Well, if that's the case, then how is it that any of us are profitable with half of that, right? The truth is we're not. We don't have a sustainable model with half of that. I could understand if the margin was we were all 80% of what Power Home Remodeling was saying, but no, 50%. You got roofers that are out there competing at 450 a square and begging for business because chucking trucks doing it at 350 a square, like in Mississippi, right? That's 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 real numbers of what stuff was happening. I remember it wasn't five years ago. I was out there fighting for business at $180 a square, oh, right? The truth is we all should be somewhere around seven, $800 a square, and Florida being what it is should probably be over 1000 right? So, right, and, and that, that's the truth, but we're all racing to the bottom, and, and, and the, the one driving that ship to the bottom is a lot to do with what insurance companies are doing um, and, and forcing contractors to just not be profitable. So that, if, I, if I had to tell yep. you what I thought about what the – what the deal was that's it <laughs> so let's just say someone's tired of beating their head against the wall brad they're mm -hmm. like man i've been racing the bottom here been doing this five years i'm 29 years old or 35 whatever 55 don't matter and they're tired of racing their way to the bottom and they're listening to this going man i, I think i may could you teach me a thing or two and uh can we you know can we put your number on there can we put the website down below somebody yeah. got any questions can they reach out to brad yeah yeah man you can reach out on my website it'll be below uh you know, uh, reach out through my Facebook group, the Lump Sum Contractor. Uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty open. Find me on Facebook. Find me anywhere, any of the conferences, whatever. Uh, I've had a successful run at doing consulting. A lot of guys that are that are happy with with what we brought to the table. Um, I think one of the big differences that I bring to the table, as far as a consultant goes, is I'm actually out here doing it. Right? There's a lot of guys that are teaching that aren't doing, yep. and I'm out here actually living it. Um, you know, I'm 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 in the now. Uh, um, and that, that, that's one of the things that I hope to always bring. I, I, I didn't get into consulting or, 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 you know, being a teacher or an influencer, you'd say, uh, because I was trying to look for a career path. It like happened because we were doing things differently and it was working. Right. Um, and, and that's kind of where I want to stay with it. I don't, I don't want to, I don't, this isn't some career path for me that I'm, I'm trying to make my main line. But I do know that people need help, and uh, I watch them. And, I mean, I care about this industry. I care about roofing. A good friend of mine, Scott George, uh, who was the owner of Ace Roofing. Uh, he was a third third generation owner now. His daughter owns it. Uh, I've never met his daughter, but Scott uh, was a little bit of a mentor for me. And uh, I was probably about three years in and trying to figure it out. And uh, he, he and I were having a lunch one day, and uh, he said, Brad, do you love roofing? I looked at him, no, nah, bro, this is just a business for me. 
He said, well, that's the big difference between me and you. I love this. My daddy did this. I did this. My daughter's going to do this. And she now runs this company. Scott passed away not long ago. And uh, he loved this. And it hit me, man, because I didn't have anything I loved. I loved this industry. This industry saved my life. It made me save my family. It made me somebody I'm not supposed to be. So it's, uh, in a lot of ways, a responsibility to go off and teach people how to do it the right way. So, Well, we all have our burden to bear in life. Yeah, man. Yours has not been easy in my time of getting to know you. I believe you've borne a burden on yourself at times. Sure. You know, where you put it, you put that honest, you put it on yourself, maybe when it didn't need to be. I think that perhaps right now you may be doing the same thing, but in a positive way. Hope so. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and again, folks, we will put all the information for Brad. What he's able to accomplish has been nothing short of incredible, bro. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what you do in the next couple of years. I'm going to yeah. see you at the conferences. And uh, anytime you want to talk about anything, you're welcome here. Thank you, man. There Appreciate you go, bro. Until next time, everybody. Later. All right, thanks so much for watching that video and sticking around till the end. If you like what you saw, go ahead and click subscribe. Make sure you punch that like button, and we look forward to seeing you on the next video.